don't see a lot of body shots even hockey straps is that to, i don't know is that a well yeah i mean you also don't see a lot of guys getting jumped from behind and headlocked and then you know when you when you want to fuck around you sometimes you got to find out so um that's what happened What's up? Welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It's episode number 45. Sean, we're heading back to Edmonton with a 1-1 series. Vegas split, baby. I, I don't even know uh, what to say, really. Like After <laughs> game one, I think myself and all the other fans were pretty dejected and feeling pretty down on themselves. But holy fuck, Edmonton came back and uh, proved why we are the odds-on cups favorites right now. Oh, I know. Like, it was so easy to look at game one and just start to really take Vegas um, extremely seriously to the point that we're starting to doubt our own team. Like, I was getting texts from friends being like, you got to change the goaltender. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like, what you got to do is you got the team to fucking show up. It was just completely different games. Yeah, I was getting a a lot of uh, start Jack Campbells from people after game one, as if like most of those goals were even Skinner's fault. Like realistically, they were kind of just brain farts out of our defense over and over again. Like, I don't know, it's one of those situations where you'd like him to have one, obviously, but um, you can't get them all. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, we'll get into those games and and everything that we've seen so far here. But uh, before we get started, just a reminder, you guys can follow us on crude uh, well, on YouTube and Twitter <laughs> at crude oil podcast. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just jump into the conversation is a little bit dead. It felt last night, but it was kind of a weird kind of uh, timed game. But um, I- I'm sure as this series goes on, things are going to get more and more crazy, especially what we saw in game two. So uh Feel free to to throw out your your thoughts and, and considerations for what the Edmonton Oilers should be doing, um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll bring it up every single podcast. Uh, that being said, I think it's a good time to start it off with a, a caveat that uh, we have some housekeeping stuff going on because, um, as I'm sure, there's so many crazy wildfires in in Alberta right now, and. Um, Sean's got an extra full house right now. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Like I'm watching, I'm watching my brother's dog while his family's cooped up somewhere else in somebody else's hair. But um, I think a lot of people are going through the same thing. So I uh, hope everybody's safe out there and um, hopefully there's, everyone's getting the help they need. Yeah, definitely. Hope everybody's safe. Uh, and if you have dogs barking in the podcast, that's, that's life, man. Um yeah, let's dive dive straight into things. Let's talk about game one, uh, heading into it. I thought it was going to be a, a fairly, you know, competitive game, but it was the furthest, furthest thing from it. Well, I'm going to say, so are we going to jump into game two or are we going to cover game one first? Well, let's go to game one to game two. Okay, we'll start with game one. And I think it was a very competitive game, to be fair. And the fact that Edmonton managed to stay in the game... <laughs> when I would say we're not even close to playing our best was it was pretty impressive. Like just our ability to come back and stay within like arm's reach of that and not let ourselves get blown away. Like after the three, one goal by Vegas, I think a lot of people were pretty dejected. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know like me and myself, I'm confident Edmonton can always come back because they've done it a million times, but with the effort that they were bringing, especially like, they came back. It was awesome. And then all of a sudden Vegas scored two more goals back to back. I was like, well, now I'm dejected again. Like, right. Classic Edmonton power or playoffs and <laughs> pulling out my heartstrings over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking competitive in the sense, like I think when I was looking back at this game and, and going through it again, like it was competitive on the score sheet, but I thought Vegas walked this team in game one. Like, there was no, no, like other than, you know, the insane efforts that Leon Dreisaitl was putting through, he was really the only person that showed up consistently from start to finish, like a motivated player in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I, I thought the Oilers did a great job to bounce back and uh, a couple plays here and there got him back in it. But um, 
I, I only think that's that's a result of like a very select number of players. Yeah, I would agree. Like Drysaddle was clearly, at least offensively, the only player who showed up. Um, I think McDavid had a few good chances. He was skating. He was flying out there. But um, I would say watching, at least, I didn't look at the stats when it comes to turnovers. But I don't think I've seen McDavid give the puck up more times in my life than in game one. Yeah. Yeah, that was really weird, hey? Like, it's the the thing that stood out to me that I was uh, looking back after game one is the fact that the Edmonton Oilers had 10 giveaways to Vegas's eight, but the takeaways were like absolutely insane. Vegas had 18 takeaways and the Oilers had like seven. It's it's crazy. Well, like looking at this game on an overall perspective, I would say it was a mixture of Edmonton being too used to playing against LA's one, three, one. Mm-hmm. Um and just not being ready for the forecheck on either side. So, for example, when like they're playing defense, they would have two guys on them every time, and their D had to make decisions quickly because they had two guys instead of the one forechecker on them, and right. it made them make poor, poor decisions. You saw it with uh, Vinny. You saw it. I believe it was Costin and Ekholm made some questionable passes on the fifth goal by Vegas. Um, yeah, and like they just were so pressured and they didn't have time to think essentially creating huge turnovers and then going the other way say for example we're talking about mcdavid and his giveaways so in the Mm -hmm. la series if he hits the blue line with speed generally speaking he's against like maybe one guy because they're playing the one three one there's one guy left he blew through three guys in the neutral zone Mm -hmm. and then playing against vegas they have two guys back there yeah because they kind of play more of a two one with both defensemen back on the blue line yeah i uh I saw a clip of uh, Luke Gazdick talking about that and basically brought the same thing up that you had is the Oilers are, are still playing the LA Kings the way they're uh, forechecking. And and like you'd mentioned, it's funny you bring that up because like the thing that I was getting like irate at towards the end of the game is they're making a push and like a classic Oilers playing with your emotions and just like never really feeling out of it, which was very exciting considering how outplayed I thought the team was. But Towards the end of the game, when they're trying to force that uh, that tying goal, I don't know how many opportunities they had to get through, like into the offensive zone. And rather than dumping the puck or trying something new, is always that splitting it up the middle. But there's nothing along the wall. Everything in the the middle dots, like uh, it was just it was really frustrating. And I think we saw the big adaptation from game one to game two with the way that they they forechecked and the way that the team was just completely different yeah and like let's look at game one like what in your opinion are the positive takeaways to take away from game one if any (laughs) um well there's a couple of different things the first thing is the fact that leon dreisaitl is playing at a clip that i don't know if i'll ever see in my lifetime again uh, in the playoffs anyways. Uh, two, we haven't won a game one since 2017. Uh, and three, I think what was what was interesting is that in specifically talking about goaltending, I thought that Skinner had a ton of shaky moments, but he had a ton of moments that he looked like the most unreal goaltender on the planet like it's funny like i I was i was talking to a buddy i was like i've never seen a goalie play so amazing and so shitty in the same game well i don't know if i would say shitty per se maybe shitty is really shitty is a really strong word so i'm gonna walk that back it was a very okay like there's definitely some goals i think um he could have uh taken a second crack at and had better luck with but um yeah yeah, like if yeah. if we're talking shitty for it, like I know you t- kind of walk that back a little bit, but um, like the first goal was DeHarnay having a brain fart and giving the puck away, creating absolute fucking chaos in front of the net. So, like one that would be one that I would like, um, I would like Skinner save, but the fact that he didn't, I'm like, okay, you can kind of put that one on the de- the defense. Mm-hmm. Then the next one was the super aggressive pinch by Nurse when it was essentially yeah. a three on two and then dry stopped skating. Once he hit the blue line on the way back, essentially it created a wide open shot on the far side that beat Skinner. Once again, 
Skinner could have had it, but I'm not necessarily mad at him for that one either because it's a wide open look and our defense and our forward should have played it better. Mm-hmm. Um, the next goal was the tipping, like the shot pass tipping by Mark Stone. And that yep. was DeHarnay giving the puck away down low and <laughs> resulting in that tip. And for some reason, Stone's wide open. So he just gets all the time in the world to line that up. The fourth goal was another tip by Barbashev, who's wide open in front. And I hate to pile on Vinny, probably like everybody else has, but he, for some reason, was essentially at the top of the left circle instead of taking the man away out front. So I think he kind of got lost in the the cycle that Vegas was doing, and somehow he ended up over there, and nobody was covering the D-man out front. You could say maybe McLeod was supposed to cover him. Regardless, wide-open guy who's tipping the puck. Like, no chance for Skinner on either of the tips. Mm-hmm. And then the last one that's not the empty netter was the three-on-three rush by Vegas, where Edmonton double committed on the guy crashing the net for some reason, leaving Stevenson wide open on the other side for the one-timer, which I give him zero chance on. So maybe two of those goals I would expect or hope that he would save, and three of them I'm like, okay, like you really didn't have a chance on those. Yeah, I have have three. I think one of those uh, I'm a little bit indifferent about, but um, I'm going to rephrase that. I think... I've never seen a goaltender make so many stops that he wasn't expected to while still letting in stops that you'd, you know, or letting in goals that you'd expect him to stop. Well, like I'm giving him a hard time, like, or yeah. like giving the D a hard time, but he still let in five fucking goals. You can't win games yeah. letting in five goals. Like yeah. if he let in three goals and they were all iffy, questionable goals, but we still won like four to three, I'd be like, whatever, he played fine. He played well so, enough to win. So that's exactly why I said it's a positive thing. Yes. It's because he kept fighting and he didn't have a team around him. Well, to add on to that too, on the other side of the coin, another positive that I think they definitely took away from this game was that they still got four pass Brassois on 27 shots. Yeah. That's... Like that's a positive you take away be like, okay, it doesn't look like at least so far, like I don't want to jinx it or anything, obviously, but like we can get four passes guys. We have the confidence to be able to score goals. So that mm-hmm. should not be a problem in this series. And it's a matter of just playing defense. And you can see it with their power play. Like, that's another positive takeaway. They were two for three in the power play in game one, just continuing this torrid pace of this unbelievable power play that they have right now. Yeah, it's it's absolutely stupid how, how good this power play is. Um, it's, well, and we'll get to it in game two, but it's it's almost like a death sentence to the other team. Like, as soon as they take a penalty at this point, like it's wild just wild um i wanted to talk to you about what your thoughts were towards the end of the game with the the too many men penalty i still think that call was horseshit but that's just me i'm gonna be a little biased toward it um well the only reason like i understand there's seven fucking guys on the ice it's probably (laughs) too many men but with two minutes left in the game in a change that they're making that the play is not even near. I'm like, why are the refs making that call? It just doesn't make sense. Especially when all they do is fucking shove game management up our asses. Then they go and do shit like that. Like that's, that should have been going against Vegas. Not so we could get (laughs) power play so we can score. So we can go to overtime. Like, what is this bullshit? And like, the only reason I'm mad is obviously because we lost and it's partially because of that. But, um, like just with the shit they weren't calling and then they go ahead and call that just made me feel a little like uneasy be like, is this what's going to be happening in the series? Yeah, it's, I'm very much with you. I think the thing that I was upset about is then like the fact is very inconsequential. Like, like you've mentioned, the play wasn't dictated by having seven guys on the ice, but I mean, it felt like a tic tac penalty and you kind of got to lick your wounds at that point is, is kind of like, I don't know, sitting there, it's kind of like the hockey gods being like, well, you guys didn't decide to be, or deserve to be this this close in the game anyway. So, like... <laughs> I mean, that's but. one way to look at it. I'm I'm willing to take that if it means that we we roll the rest of it because we learned our lesson. Yeah. But um, as we transition out of this game, I don't think we can uh, uh, go past the, the interaction between Mark Spector and... Leon Dreisaitl will play that right here. Take some joy out of scoring four tonight. It's not nope. like that happens every night. Nope. So, <laughs> initial thoughts, Sean? 
I I don't know. What what do you want me to say? I don't like Mark Spector. <laughs> you ask stupid fucking questions. Like I think you but, feel the same way. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, like are, do you take any like should Leon like sit back at the end of this game and whatsoever be like, "Oh yeah, I got four goals. That's pretty good." Well, like Back at the to- end of the day, he's just like McDavid. He doesn't give a fuck what he does individually. He wants to win the game. And if scoring four <laughs> goals helps win the game, that's great. He'll do it yeah. every day. But if they win a game and he scores zero goals, then he's just as happy. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it was an extremely poorly timed. It wasn't even a fucking question, really. That's the thing is like when, it, when you're just like, you, you got to do this. You got like you're insinuating that he should be feeling a certain way coming from a guy who's like behind all of the hockey um the playing and, and everything on the ice so it, it was just it was dumb uh again another incident where i'd love to be like in an unfiltered position where he could actually say what he's thinking well i'd love to see if there's some like off the record shit is that is like as soon as they're done where he's just like mm-hmm. hey mark can i talk to you and be like what the fuck was that yeah right <laughs> like geez I, that's all I want to hear is like the uh, be a fly on the wall and the off the record conversations that these guys have well that might have been one of the greatest gifts we ever got as Oilers fans is when they're wrapping up that press conference last year and McDavid's like Spec, can I talk to you and just like the video went dead <laughs> like well good good well like I don't know I, I expect a bit more and I understand that they lost and you want to grill the players to be like, what the fuck was that? But the last person you should point fingers at at that game and even ask those kind of questions to is Leon. To be like, yeah. are you mad that your team didn't score as many goals as you did? Like, yeah. that's the kind of fucking kindergarten shit that I'm expecting. Yeah. It was it was cool from an outsider's perspective who's not obviously getting paid to get wins and um, in the locker rooms, it was cool to see him achieve um, that milestone. And, you know, especially on back-to-back nights with what was going on with Pavelski. But um, in the end, like, it doesn't matter. We only care about Ws at this point. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's cool to to see the progression and, and how things are going. But, yeah, in the end, it doesn't matter. Um, we look ahead to game two. Did you have any expectations heading into the game yesterday? Well, I guess before we kind of get into that, we'll kind of, I guess, talk about those expectations. With Yanmark getting hurt, we kind of glossed over that, which That's right. fucking yes. sucks for him. And yes. I wish him all the best to feel better soon because I was so excited to have him back in the lineup. I know. Um, my tune has completely changed since the beginning of the year, clearly. Um, <laughs> but I was very excited to have him back, and it really sucked to see him go out that way. And I hope he can still heal up and maybe come back, but it did not look promising. I'll say that much. With that being yeah. said, um, the expectation for sure was Derek Ryan was coming into the lineup um, to replace Yanmark. But the real question mark was whether or not Vidi Deharnay would be playing in another game. Yeah, yeah, I guess you can't really gloss over the the performance we had in game one. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure he was trending on Twitter. And if you're yeah. like third pairing defenseman is trending on Twitter, it's probably not for a good thing. Yeah, but it's just like consistent. Like we've seen this now for three weeks. It's well, the thing is, when I, he's I like when he's good, he's like quietly solid. Like which right. is that's what I want out right. of my third pairing defenseman. But when he's bad, holy shit, he is bad, and it yeah. hurts. And there was a comment I heard. I think it was on the post game show, um, on twelve sixty, mm-hmm. and a guy called in, and I wholeheartedly agree with what he said. He said your third pairing can't win you a game but they could sure as shit lose you the game oh that's good and they definitely did not help and i'm not blaming kulak i guess because kulak has been pretty solid but dayherney cannot play that way so (laughs) ultimately that resulted in lots of speculation on whether or not he would be out maybe we run 12 and 6 uh do we have neba line in a chance anything like that but in classic woodcroft fashion he decided to go right back to him again yeah i I don't know if I love this because this is very much like the the tippet thing that we saw a couple of years ago where you kind of have a recipe and you keep going back to it. I, I totally appreciate the fact that Woodcroft has seen what's going on, making some alterations. We've seen him do it in flight and games, um, but this is one that he's just, he's hell bent on. 
I mean, I think he loves Vinny a little bit more than I would care to want him to. <laughs> but they have a bit of connection from the Bakersfield days, so I'm I'm not surprised by it. And I think so, Vinny is very, very solid, to be fair, on the penalty kill. Um, I agree on the penalty kill. It's nice. Um, the one thing that I think Dayarnay is amazing at when he's on his game is he's very physical. Uh, you give his limited eight minutes that he played in game one, not a single hit. Yeah, I think that might have been part of the problem. And like on top of that, he was kind of chasing the puck a lot. Yeah, and good point. like being pressured to the point where he wasn't he can break up the cycle. But if he's the one with the puck, that's when the issues kind of happen. Um, and I got to bring up this stat. Like, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, so bear with me. But the stat was essentially that Edmonton has a 0.200 lower save percentage when DeHarnay is on the ice on both 5v5 and the penalty kill. They had something like a 950 save percentage at 5-on-5 when he was off the ice, and it was a 750 when he was on. And that drops to a, like a 650 when he's uh, on the penalty kill versus uh, 850 when he's not on the ice. Wow. So like those are pretty telling. So I don't know if he's just having more like important minutes, like say, for example, when Nurse is playing against higher quality of competition. So of course he's on the ice for more goals against. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's the same, especially on the penalty kill for DeHarnay, but the five on five one's more the one that sticks out to me because odds are he's more likely against the third and fourth pairings or sorry, lines. So I would expect him to maybe be a bit more effective than that. So that was a little eye opening. Yeah. I I'm, I'm trying to think like ahead to this series and I don't want to jump too, too far ahead, but like. I think there's a purpose that he's going to play in this series if it keeps trending the way it's trending. And speaking and... of the way it's trending, we could probably get into game two. <laughs> okay, your your segue is a little bit smoother than mine. Um, yeah, this was a nasty game. And I mean, at from, you know, anytime there's going to be a gigantic lead, um, it's, they've got nothing else and in the tank. Um, so I wasn't shocked that it got a little bit nasty, but, uh, I was a little curious to see how the Oilers would respond, uh, whether they bite and, you know, get into that kind of game. Uh, but what are your initial thoughts other than like the, the score and the game itself? Well, leading into the game, me and my friends were sitting on the couch about ready to watch the game. And we did our classic score predictions for the first period. And I vehemently said four nothing Edmonton, and I will stand by the fact that I said that, and I could find some people to prove that I did say that. <laughs> and I was flabbergasted that it did end up at that score, and very surprised, and also somewhat angry that I did not bet any money on my confident prediction that I decided to make. But uh, anyway, besides the fact of that, <laughs> um, the game as a whole was just fantastic. I can't believe. Honestly, the effort that they came out with, I think the shots were like 22 to nine after the first period. Like, I don't know how much else you can ask, uh, like from them, how much more you could ask, maybe more five on five from them, because I think there was a lot of power play stuff going on. But ultimately, they got a huge lead to start and God damn it, they held it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it uh, it's always concerning when they they go up because we've seen. You know, the Oilers take their foot off the pedal a number of different times, uh, but they did a really good job of, of keeping themselves composed and, um, you know, not falling too, too much into the trap of the the game that Vegas wanted them to eventually play, which was more of a, a gritty kind of physical kind of game. But um, I just, from domination or domination from start to finish. Like it, it was a complete game. And I think the biggest difference between game one and game two is the whole fucking bus showed up. Yeah. This was a team effort to like across the board. Yes. Four of the goals were scored by a combination of McDavid and dry mm-hmm. but you can't argue with uh, the way that the rest of the team locked it down and just played their role. Cause we don't necessarily need goals from the bottom six 
Like I'd like goals from the bottom six. Don't get me wrong, but we don't need them if they can go out on the ice and break even. So they don't give up any goals and they have a solid shift of having possession in the offensive zone. Like that's all I'm really looking for. And we got a lot of that. I saw like a ton of that from, I think it was the McLeod Butte. No, sorry. Fuck my brain. McLeod <laughs> Fogel and Derek Ryan, when they were out there together, they were holding possession for probably a solid 60 seconds in the zone for the entirety of their shift. Almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it was very nice to see every role being filled by those players. And, and like you mentioned too, like it's easy to look at the score sheet and be like, Oh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will carry the team again. But um, especially when they're playing together, that leaves three lines wide open to, uh, to drop the ball and make it a, an even game. So um, I mean, the score is also telling of how much the uh, the rest of the team put in. It was it was interesting. So I want to jump back to the first period. The Oilers going like right off the hop with two uh, power play goals, and then um, at that point, uh, McDavid with the shorty, and they're sitting three three nothing. Was the was the dry oh the dry side goal? Sorry, I thought it was on the power play, the fourth one. I want to talk about the uh, the goaltender interference call. What's your initial like thoughts of what Cassidy was going for? This is back when Hyman got pushed in uh, to Brassois and just the whole decision to uh, to review it. Desperation is the word that I would <laughs> use. Like I I don't really I obviously didn't agree with the fact that he called the goaltender interference. And in the back of my mind, I see Zach Hyman involved in goaltender interference, I'm like, oh, fuck, we're fucked. Mm. Like, we we lose automatically because they see Zach Hyman. They know what's going to happen. But <laughs> then you watch the replay, and, like, I can't remember who the Vegas defenseman was, but he pushed Hyman directly into Brissois. You could see Hyman going to stop and turn away from Brissois to skate in front of him. And then the D-man's like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere, and pushes him right into him. Yeah. So they obviously made the correct call. And I can't believe he'd made that other than, like I said, out of pure de- desperation to be like, we could take one off the board. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a ridiculously stupid decision considering how really? deadly their power play is. See, I, I saw that kind of the the turning point of the game um, where Cassidy's like, this is this is the game or like either we, we keep a goal off the board or we're basically like giving the game to Edmonton because at that point you not only give Edmonton a four, nothing lead, but you give him a power play. You're, you're basically expecting to be down five, nothing. I, I kind of respect the decision to just throw it, especially with the way that goaltender interference calls have been going this year. Um, I kind of understand why he's like, just fuck it. Let's try it. And it kind of just left it up. The right call was made. The, obviously the push was very, um, deliberate and is kind of tough to uh to look at but um i mean there's some there's some ambiguity there like you saw hyman kind of stop but if he didn't get pushed would he have still run into the goalie who's to say i think that's kind of what he was looking at so i was just curious what your thoughts was uh just around the decision i don't i don't mind it i can definitely see um that after they they made that decision obviously edmonton didn't score to make it five nothing but uh, the tone of Vegas changed significantly after that goal was um, allowed. Well, yeah, I, I do agree with you that I fully understand his purpose for why mm. he did it, but I still think that it was like a dumb decision and honestly showed lack of faith in your team to be like, yeah, we got to do this or we lose. Like you're just giving up in the second period, essentially. Yeah, I can't argue that that thought. Sorry, that was the not. first period. What am I talking about? Second that was the first, yeah. No, yeah, wait, yeah. That, wait, yes. Yes, yes, it was. Okay. It was. So, right yeah, the they're essentially giving up in the first period. Like, there's still two more periods to play. You watch that. I think it's pretty blatant. I do agree with you. Maybe if he didn't push him, Hyman might have still touched him, and it would have been enough. First one was also a foot out of his fucking crease. So, like, come on. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I to me, that doesn't show the faith in your team if you watch that replay and you're like, yeah, that's challengeable. Like, maybe you're showing faith in your goalie because your goalie's like, yeah, he hit me. And you're like, okay, we challenge it. But maybe you should watch the fucking tape before you challenge it. Like, call Woodcroft, (laughs) ask him, how do you do it? How do you win every challenge you make? Because I can't seem to win one. 
but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that was a questionable decision at best against Edmonton's defense. And then, like you said, the game completely changed face after that. And Vegas decided to dig deep and go and just play like a bunch of little fucking assholes. Yeah, they uh, at that point, they decided to turn heel and it was. <sighs> yeah, it started it. It started kind of midway in the second where you start seeing like the the little shit after the whistle starting and then um the the scrum that kind of broke everything like the chaos just ensued after that was the the whole Evander Kane thing going on. Uh I, I wanna get your take. Let's get into that. Um a lot of people really, really not big fans of of Kane's uh uh you know attack down in the corner. I mean I was a fan of it, but I also thought it was kind of stupid just the way that he did it and specifically taking what five kidney shots at uh was it Colasar? Yeah. Yeah, like that was unnecessary at, and that's putting it lightly. Like yeah. I understand the like you might be mad and you're doing it, but like you got a guy in a fucking headlock and you're just feeding him kidney shots like you're asking to fucking get kicked out of the game for that. And a lot of people I saw afterwards, like some Vegas and neutral fans were calling for like a suspension because of that. That's, that's the joke. Yeah. Like, like honestly, I don't agree with that at all. And clearly it's a roughing penalty, but like, I'm not surprised Edmonton came away on the penalty kill after that one. Let's just say that. Um, Yeah. I can, I, I can definitely see how like Vander Kane, a little bit heated in the moment, a little bit of retaliation for what was getting, um, uh, what Hyman was going through. And, um, it's a penalty for sure. I don't, yeah. suspension is where I think it becomes laughable. Oh, I agree. And ultimately, like, this, that was Kane going too far in the sense of, like, you mentioned getting over, potentially overwhelmed by his emotions and mm-hmm. going a little bit too far and going over that line. But then after that, he walked that line perfectly for the oh, rest I of know. the, what, like 15 minutes that were left in that game after that happened? Oh, I I think Evander Kane is the greatest, one of the greatest players in the NHL. Uh, I'm going to put Ryan Reeves also on that on that list. But of getting underneath people's teeth and then letting them ride that line and not retaliating i don't know if i've seen evander kane laugh or smile more than after that happened the entire game he didn't do anything but he was so underneath vegas's skin that like he was almost the victim towards the end of the game well i my my friend made me laugh pretty good after the game because i think it was when kane and hyman were in the box after hyman and carrier just had a little tussle where carrier just hugged him um, and then you got Carrier and Kane screaming at each other back and forth in the box. And Hyman's just sitting there like arms crossed, like minding his own business. Like nothing even happened. Like he's just got yeah. a two minute minor and this, these guys just fought. But <laughs> anyway, they're yelling at each other. Then next shift Carrier's out there. Um, he goes after Cody Cece. Yeah. And all my friend kept saying to me was like, all they're yelling back and forth is Carrier's in the box. He's like, I'm coming for Cody. I'm going to go for Cody, man. <laughs> He's just like, what does Cece have to do with this? Why are you going after him? He's Got like, him. oh, I, I don't care. I'm going for him, though. And like, Cece wanted nothing to that either. <laughs> no, Cece's not really that type of guy either. And like, uh, uh, kudos to Kulak as well for fighting, even though that wasn't much of a fight. They didn't really let him go because he couldn't get his helmet off his head. That chin strap was fucking tight as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they walk that line perfectly. Costin took a little brawl, even though that was a half-assed one too. Like nobody could really swing, even if they wanted to. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if you saw that clip of when Carrier had uh, McDavid tied up all along the wall between the two benches, and uh, he was on the ice with Costin. Uh, I forget the other winger, but uh, McDavid's being tied up. He's kind of being pushed back and being let, and Costin sees it out of the corner of his eyes and lines it towards the bench and they slowed it down and they showed McDavid being like, no, 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 just get to the bench. Get to the bench. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty well, funny. Well, in a game like that, you really want Edmonton to be composed and disciplined and hopefully not do anything that could, like, say, jeopardize the next game by right. doing something stupid. And I think they did that really well. And the next game, 
I could see it being an absolute clusterfuck. Like, I would not be surprised if the next game was like seven six because there's ten power plays for each team because shit's yeah. fucking flying off the handle. Yep, it's it's gonna be an interesting series to see how things uh, things shake out because it it's gonna be nasty. It's gonna be heavy, um, but we've had nothing but like offense the entire time too. Well, that's true. Um, I don't know. Edmonton had quite a bit of defense going on in game two. Oh, yeah. I guess you can't deny that either. <laughs> like, if uh, we could just... find a way to play that neutral defense with also mm-hmm. having our high-octane uh, offense, there's just no there's no stopping Edmonton. That's the thing. is like Everyone keeps, like outside of like Oilers fans, everyone keeps joking on like the defense and stuff and the five-on-five stuff with Edmonton. Um, the uh the thing is is Edmonton can be the best team in the NHL by far by having a very average defense. Like average to even low defense. But um I don't think we've talked enough about game two because we have far too many things that we skipped over. You get to a five one win uh by a couple things, and it starts off with the power play. Um yeah, I'll I'll just pass it to you because this this is insane. I mean, the power play. What else is there to say besides you just look at that fucking percentage, mm. and you just smile? Like the fact that Edmonton went, I believe, two for four in this game, and their power play percentage went down because of it. <laughs> like that just speaks volumes for how good their power play has been. And it's yeah. just absolutely bananas. If you're Vegas, you are quivering in your boots and afraid to do the slightest thing wrong because Edmonton might go on that power play. It was, uh, it was funny. I don't know if you saw the change between game one and game two that Kevin Bieksa brought up in between um, the zone, but it was actually pretty pretty interesting where they had uh, the way they set up McDavid or Dreisaitl on that, that inside point line. And they were losing puck battles to the puck in game one. And it was simply just because of the distance that the player was um, towards the blue line. And when they choked up in game two, which they're still like 50%, um, they won every puck draw like right off the hop and got control of the puck. It's just insane to see still like this team making little tweaks with like the most insane success on a special teams unit ever. I'm just like, I'm still flabbergasted by how good it is. <laughs> I think that's the second time I've said that word today. Um, yeah. But yeah, and it doesn't just run through McDavid and Drysaddle. Like everybody's like, yeah, that's all you see is their goals on the board. But like Hyman's net front presence cannot be like scoffed at. Nuja's ability to just be that great half wall guy. He put, put up what, two assists in this game. So hopefully he's heating up a little bit. I'd like to see him hit the back of the net. He's going to be flashes of last season where he was just the, the assist man with no goals. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then that leaves Bouchard on the point who had a huge impact in this game. Again, like he obviously had his big like slap shot from the point that went in. Great screen by Hyman, so uh, Brissois didn't see it for a second. But that first goal, too, was just Bouchard walking in and taking a shot on net that created that huge rebound that went straight to Dreisaitl. Yeah, like, welcome to Evan Bouchard's coming out party. Like, this is insane. 14 points in eight playoff games. Like, this guy is a monster. And I I keep getting, like, I'm not looking to the offseason. We're not going to talk contracts, but it's in the back of my mind. I'm like, this is not helping. This is not helping, but I'll, fuck it. I'll take it. Um, like to think that he's the third highest scoring player on the team right now. And you have the guys like Zach Hyman and Nugent Hopkins who had over a hundred point season behind him. Um, it, it's just wild. It's wild to see what he's doing. And the, the things that I'm loving is when is the last time you're really hearing a lot of people bitching and complaining about Bouchard's defensive play? Honestly, I haven't had like heard a word of it. Like, right? I don't know if that's the Ekholm presence or if maybe the other people are making bigger mistakes and attracting more attention to their play. But uh, honestly, I think Bouchard's just been extremely steady, and yeah. that calm demeanor that he's always kind of come with—that 
rather than Tom Demeter, that lack of sense of urgency that he has uh, <laughs> has really kind of helped him out quite a bit because he just doesn't panic when he's under pressure. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to see and it can finally take away the the conversation and the wonderment of what what would happen if this power play had Evan Bouchard on it? Well, we now know that, you know, <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah, I guess we go from like 30-some percent to 50-some percent. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, but we can't leave this game without talking about maybe the best fucking press conference question-answering segment I've ever seen from this team. <laughs> You've got Connor McDavid like looking at reporters talking about um, Leon Dreisaitl, who's like questioning whether or not uh, he's a uh, you know one of the best players in the, in the playoffs, and he's like, dude, like he's he's one of the best players in the world, like sometimes the best player in the world. Um, it, it's 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 amazing to see the team being like, yeah, welcome, welcome to everything that we've been saying for the past couple of years, and then you've got fucking Evander Kane dropping the quote of the century. <laughs> I just, I could not believe that uh, the amount of like cuss words and um, this is, this is a uncensored podcast. So uh, I, I don't give a shit, but it's amazing to see the amount of like swearing that's going on in these interviews in the playoffs. It's making hockey so much more entertaining to follow up. It almost makes the press conferences and the post game uh, conferences like, appointment television yeah it's must watch tv because you just want to catch that that slip here and there where they just drop <laughs> it like Ilya samsonov when they asked him about Bobrovsky's. like i don't give a fuck right right um yeah it's it's very entertaining um I, that's the kind of shit that the nhl needs oh for sure what what were your exact thoughts on kane's comments anyways just the fact that like he he backed up everything he did. He had no regrets. And um, I, I think you're starting to see confidence from him. He's never been really shy to to show it, but I think you're starting to see it in his game. It. I saw a tweet last night that said he had zero points. Uh, he had like a couple hits and he was still extremely, extremely productive in this hockey game. And I think that goes a long way to what we were saying earlier about how this team can win five to one and have, you know, two guys scoring the majority of the goals and everybody playing a role. Like, I think Kane is fitting back into his role. He's becoming that little like pain in the ass that if you're an Oilers fan, I don't blame you for like not standing this guy, but he's getting other team skin. The comments are going to do nothing but fuel like animosity from uh, their team. Um, not to mention the fucking tweet from the Edmonton Oilers showing him blowing a kiss to the fan, flipping him the bird. Like we're turning full heel now. Like this, this is amazing. I mean, I'm down for it all day. And you can look at Toronto having to deal with Kachuk to get like a similar, a similar idea of how that feels. And I'm sure Toronto knows exactly how it feels right now. And not that Kane's been as productive, but I think he's just as much in those guys' head as uh, Kachuk has been. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing that I did uh, forget to actually bring up is, uh, before we leave Game 2, Stuart Skinner had a, an extremely solid game in Game 2, and I don't think he gets enough credit um, for the bounce back. And I'm just hoping that everybody after Game 1 who's like, we need to put Campbell in. He's, he's a better goaltender. He needs to shake up the team. This kid's going to bounce back. Like, give him a chance. Let him have a team play in front of him and see how he plays. Yeah, it's nice when the team actually shows up. That's for sure. Yeah. But um, that kind of wraps up things for the, uh, the first two games of the series. Obviously, we move into uh, game three on Monday and then game three on Wednesday. Uh, but uh, I saw you had some other notes from from the uh, the series so far from the current series yes uh so i noticed and i'm sure some other people have noticed as well that edmonton's all three of their losses have just been one goal games barring the empty net goal versus uh vegas in their, that loss so even though edmonton has lost three times which happens you're going you're going to lose in the playoffs not every series will be a sweep they have been competitive quote unquote in every single game <laughs> 
Yeah, like the other thing that I saw is the first that was the first uh game one was the first regulation loss the Edmonton Oilers have had since March eleventh. It's pretty crazy to think about it like that. That's nuts. That's it's nearly nuts. a month and a half of not having a regulation loss. Yeah. And then uh, the other comment I had was just uh, Drysaddle has 13 fucking goals in eight games. Yeah. Like, it's. Uh, I've seen people being like, wait, he has 13 goals, not points? I thought he had 13 <laughs> points, and I was impressed. Well, and he's he's not only on the, the track to uh, hit the NHL record for single playoffs, but like I saw a stat that was like the first two rounds back to 1919, where like he, I think he's one or two goals away from, from uh, tying that for the first two rounds, but I mean, you play two rounds back in 1919, you win the cup. Uh, He's on a torrid pace and who would have like, everyone has a a shoe in for McDavid being the heart winner, the the best player on the planet. Dreisaitl's been our best player in the playoffs. I don't think that's debatable. Listen, if the playoffs ended today, Dreisaitl gets the like cons, no question. Across the Across the Sorry? league, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah. if they ended today, obviously they don't. So yeah. like nobody get too excited about it. But there's no reason why he wouldn't win it because he's leading in points. He's destroying in goals, like almost two above Nico Rantanen, who's not even in the playoffs anymore. Like <laughs> I don't know. It's it's hard to to not think that way, anyways. And like, yeah. obviously you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. So I'm not claiming that he is going to win it by any means, but if it did end today, he would. So does part of you not like want to just go back and imagine what a healthy Leon Dreisaitl does last year? Like Edmonton wins the cup last year. If he's healthy, he puts <laughs> up fucking an extra point per game, at least like buddies hobbling on one leg and still putting up stupid points. Ugh. Uh, well, uh, we'll just, uh, wrap up quickly here. Just taking a look at the other series right now, Carolina up two one on New Jersey is kind of, I heard a couple people complaining about how, um, obviously not vested in either of the teams on, on Friday and Saturday, only one game in the NHL for both Saturday and well, the, the night before on Friday and both of them kind of blowouts, uh, doesn't do a great job for drawing people to the NHL, but, um, Carolina has surprisingly, taking control of this this uh this series i thought it was going to be a lot tighter i mean new jersey made a great effort and won today Mm -hmm. to like make it so it's not a complete blowout um i'd like to say too i was writing these notes down and the game wasn't over it was 7-1 and literally by the time i was typing these notes and finished just finishing my notes it was like seemingly felt like a minute i look back (laughs) and it's 7-4 I'm like, yeah. oh shit, Carolina might come back. Maybe I should delete this <laughs> note that says they're leading 2-1 and maybe leave a TBD on there. Yeah, it's it's funny just when you think things are things are done. Um it's I even going back to this series too, like um when Edmonton tied it up 3-3 in game 1, I saw somebody being like coming I just went to the fucking washroom. What the fuck happened? Like it's it's comical how how quickly things can change. Um, we have Dallas tied to Seattle one, one game three is set for today. This series is interesting because I think Seattle is going to put a push for this. Um, they obviously surprised, uh, Dallas with the win. Like at what point here do we start taking Seattle, like Seattle really seriously? Well, because we don't have to play them yet. I still don't overly take them seriously. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe I should, but they have a ton of depth. Don't get me wrong. The depth they have, that's fantastic. Their D is very solid. That's fantastic. I'd still like, I think their goalie's playing pretty well, but he doesn't like scream cup winning goalie to me, even though he did it last or a couple of years ago. No, no, he wasn't their goalie last year. Never mind. Yeah, Grubauer didn't win last year. So, yeah, I don't know. I just. When we play them, I will take them seriously, but they got to get through Dallas to really prove it to me because getting past the super injured Colorado Avalanche didn't do much for me. Yeah, it's probably just the allure of the Stanley Cup, like former Stanley Cup champions. I don't know. 
Um, well, it's hard to it, even call them that at that point when, like, I think four of their top six were gone. Right, right. Um, and then, yeah, I think just the goaltending duo is just going to be, it, it's going to be a battle, man. Um, and then finally, we're we're talking as Toronto and Florida play game three right now. It's one nothing Toronto. I am, I'm floored that it's two nothing Florida. I'm floored because I didn't expect it, not because of the way that Florida had been playing though. Yeah, like I expected at least Toronto to win one of those two games. Oh um, fuck, man! I'm pretty disappointed in them, to be perfectly honest with you. And who knows? They could come and win a couple games on the road, but I don't know. Yeah, man. yeah. Not being a, a super attached person to to either team, I was at the gym watching the game. I saw his two nothing game two. Um, I saw his two nothing Toronto. I was like, oh, okay, they. This is like ten minutes into the game. I was like, they've got this. I went, I made dinner, I sat down, it's like the end of the second, it was three to two, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, they just, they just crumbled. Um, so, uh, Florida is proving to be more and more of a, a scary thought than I thought they were. Like, this, this is a grinding team, and I, it's funny, I saw a podcast with uh, Sean Avery on it, and he predicted this like two weeks ago. I mean, that's Sean Avery being Sean Avery, though, towards Toronto, um, <laughs> but He's like, dude, they're going to beat you into the ground. And so far, they 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 kind of have. Well, you have to give props, too, to uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. He's uh, mm-hmm. channeling his previous Vesna seasons against Toronto so far and playing out of this world. And then, I always hate to say it, but you can't argue with the results. Matthew Kachuk has been unreal for them so far these playoffs, uh, and especially in these two games against Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that being said... That game goes today. Uh, we have obviously got the uh, game three Monday, game four on Wednesday. Um, we'll see how things shake out. But the Edmonton Oilers and the Vegas Golden Knights tied at one, heading back to Edmonton. Let's go, Oilers. Oilers. <laughs>